<laughs> some years ago, my wife and I, um, actually most of you know I'm a Ford guy, and so we have two Fords now, and about seven, eight years ago, we had a Ford Explorer. And I was making a dump run with a large trailer attached to the back of my Ford Explorer, and, and I went and dumped everything off, and I was driving back, and all of a sudden, it started to miss. You know, the cylinder wasn't firing. It's blub, 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 cough, cough, sputter, sputter. And I realized, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. And I was thinking, what in the world is wrong with my car? And dollar signs, of course, are going through my head, like, what in the world? What's wrong with my car? Well, I put on the hazards and limped it all the way home. You know, people speeding by saying, get that piece of trash off the road, that kind of stuff. Limped it home, and I got to my driveway, and I popped up the hood with the engine running. And inside my engine compartment was a veritable thunderstorm. That is, my spark plug wires were aged and cracked. So when the spark was traveling through the wires, it was arcing to almost any grounded piece of metal. So there's stuff firing all over the place. I'm realizing, oh, it's the spark plug wires. Because when spark doesn't get to the cylinder, that means it doesn't ignite the gas, which means you lose a cylinder, and that's not a good thing in a car. You know, you lose power. You need spark in the cylinder to ignite the gas to make your car go. My car did not run well with only four or five cylinders running because it wasn't getting the spark. Now, that analogy reminds me a little bit of, of, I think, what's going on in the church. That is, from the New Testament perspective, Jesus intended the church to be a, an organism of massive divine power through which he would change not only the people of the church, but people through the church. But the New Testament also teaches us that that divine power invested in the church runs through conduits, kind of like spark plug wires. And those conduits are the gifts of the Spirit, gifts that God has in his sovereignty and grace given to everyone who is a true believer in Jesus Every true member of the church has this spirit gift through which the power of the Spirit of God flows. Supernatural power. For those of you who might be new to the faith and thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about, gifts of the Spirit. Those are God-given abilities, and everybody's is somewhat different, a different combination making it unique. God-given abilities through which God's power flows to the rest of the church. Which means... Where the gifts of the Spirit are either dormant, undiscovered, neglected, misunderstood, or abused, then there is a lack of power in the church. And one of the things that many people have observed about the church in the West is that it lacks power. And perhaps one of the components that causes that lack of power is the misunderstanding or the neglect of these gifts through which the divine power of God flows, these, these, these conduits. So as we've been praying and seeking where would the Lord have us go as a church, this is the direction. We are about to embark on a journey through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which are chapters in which Paul talks about, to the ancient church of Corinth, he talks about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's where we're headed, with an aim that we... If you don't know them, discover them, develop them. They do need developing and then employing so that the power of God's Spirit and His presence flows through those conduits and the cylinders of the church ignite. The world needs the church to be running in all the cylinders, not just a few. And we believe part of that is discovering, developing, and employing faithfully the God-given supernatural gifts that He has imparted to the church. So that's where we're headed. That's kind of a general introduction to the next three months. Now let me just make two introductory comments that I feel I, I need to make before I get to the main topic. One has to do with these chapters. Anybody who's read the book of 1 Corinthians know Paul is dealing with a church that is massively messed up. Um, division, selfishness, and they're abusing the gifts. So in these particular chapters, 12, 13, and 14, he's addressing a problem. That is, they're abusing, overemphasizing certain gifts over others. They don't understand at some level what they're supposed to do or what they're doing. So they're obsessed with the spirit gifts. So I could see someone asking me or saying to me, 
Is it really appropriate to teach positively about the spirit gifts from texts that deal with them as a problem? I mean, it's addressing a problem. To which I'd have to say, absolutely. Because the way in which Paul addresses the problem in the church in, in association with the gifts and their use of the gifts underscores to me and should to us just how important they are in his mind. If they weren't that important, you would expect Paul in these chapters to say, guys, you need to chill out about the gifts. They're really not that important. But that's not what he says. He says to a group of people who are already fascinated by them, who already have a passion for them, he says in chapter 14, verse 1, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. He's telling a group of people that are already fascinated with them, passionate about them, continue to be eagerly desired. That's like, in a sense, pouring gas on the charismatic fire. Because Paul does not want to diminish their passion for the gifts or the importance of the gifts. He simply wants to realign their thinking as to what their center is and how to structure them and how to order them. Because they are important in his mind, which is why he says, eagerly desire them. He tells a group of people who are already obsessed with them, eagerly desire them. So yes, I believe these chapters should serve as positive teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. First comment. Second comment has more to do with the fact that whenever talking about the gifts, whenever entering into a series on the gifts, just to be honest, we're going to enter into areas where there is a certain amount of controversy. There's controversy as to how to define some of the gifts, like prophecy or tongues. And there is also controversy over whether or not certain gifts have died or ceased. It is controversial. But I'm hoping that we won't allow um, differences of opinion. If at the end of the message series you say, well, I'm just not in the same place as you, Dan, that's okay. I hope you'll respect where I've come and why I've come there, and, and I'll respect if, if it's insofar as you are convinced from Scripture that I'm wrong. Um, then we'll agree to disagree, and, and I don't think it should be an issue of division. Um, I will say that I've experienced the controversy up close and personal. I was trained in an institution under the leadership of a man by the name of John MacArthur. Some of you have read his books. Um, a man I respect and a man who's impacted my life personally. But if you've read any of his books, you'll also know that he is intensely committed to teaching and defending a view that says that the miraculous gifts ceased with the passing of the apostles. So miraculous gifts like healing, tongues, and other such miraculous gifts passed away with the apostles or shortly thereafter. Um, that was the institution I was trained in. I was, grew up in that kind of, a, that kind of a, a view. It's called cessationism from the word cease, just a fancy word, that they've ceased. That's the theological position. That's what I grew up in. That's what I was trained to think. And that's what I was trained to defend. I understand it. It's how I grew up, what I was trained in. I understand the arguments. But God brought other mentors into my life and other teachers into my life that brought me back to the Scripture to evaluate, evaluate once again, is it really biblical to hold that certain miraculous gifts have ceased? Men like... Wayne Grudem, uh, Jack Deere, I remember reading his book, Surprised by the Spirit. He's a former Dallas professor, who's, which is a cessationist institution, and how he crossed over um, as a result of studying the Spirit through the Scripture, or men like Sam Storms or D.A. Carson. Those were men who influenced my life, brought me back to the Scripture to believe that there really is no solid biblical basis to believe that those gifts, the miraculous ones, ceased. Now let me pause here for just a moment and make a side comment, and that is that I, for one, think it's dangerous to let any one man form your theology or your interpretation of Scripture. Because every man, short of Jesus, is only one with the authority and right to form my views, um, is fallen, biased, and weak. Which is why I feel and believe that it's important to listen to different teachers, not just one. Otherwise, we come, become parrots informed by one person's opinion. And that, to me, is a dangerous wielding of authority or surrender of authority. Well, as a result of these other mentors in my life, I pretty much crossed over. Some of my friends think I crossed over to the dark side. Um, hopefully, those of you who know me well enough know I haven't crossed over 
to the dark side. Um, but anyway, I crossed over to this position that has been termed open but cautious. That is, you're open to all of the gifts, if God so wishes to give them, but you're cautious about it, which I think that cautious word is very important because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Just stay home on a Sunday morning and watch some of it. You can see, you can see it firsthand. But I've, through further reflection and reading, um, I've come to see that open but cautious position is uh, somewhat, this is going to sound harsh, it's kind of a sissy position, a pansy position. And if you hold that position, I'm not trying to berate you. But, but here's why. Because the word open is so passive. I sit on the couch. I'm open to Kick up my feet. God, you give me the gifts, whatever. That's all Paul says. It doesn't say, say, be open to the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 1. Eagerly desire them. I mean, that's biblical. Eagerly desire the gifts, plural. Which means if, if you really want, I guess, use biblical terminology, the better place to be is to be Eagerly desiring, but cautious. So I, I believe that is where God wants me to be, and, and, and I believe from my vantage point is where he wants God's people to be, to, to be eagerly desiring these gifts through which the power of God's Spirit flows, but cautious about it. So that's where, that's where I am. I, I don't want anybody thinking I have some secret agenda. That's, that's where I'm at in the journey of um, understanding the gifts. And if God so sees fit to bestow upon our congregation gifts which are more or less miraculous, maybe uncomfortable, then I hope we'll have the integrity to exercise them, all of them, really, humbly, sincerely, honestly, without pretending, without pretense, and without this, what I think is offensive to God, sensational hype. I don't think Jesus would have approved or would approve of a kind of showmanship about the gifts, especially the humble, meek Jesus who oftentimes took people aside and and talked to them personally and put mud on their eyes and said, go and be healed, sin no more. Um, So those are the two comments. Again, I know it's controversial, but at the same time, it's in the Bible, so let's let's dig into it together. With that said, um, let me get to the main... main, I just have basically kind of one question to ask and answer, and then a couple of applications from it. That's simply where I'm going. And the question really is, I think, the most important question, and in one sense, making this the most important message of the entire series. Here's the question. What is the overarching fundamental purpose of the spirit gifts? Or you could ask it differently. You could say, what is the central heart of it? Why do they exist? The reason I believe that that's important is because many of us are fragmented in our thinking about Christianity. We have all these different pieces that we don't know how to put together. We have the Bible, we have doctrine, theology, we have have marriage, and we have spirit gifts. Without this sense of overarching, unifying center that gives them all focus. So we're fragmented in our thinking. Some people are wondering, hey, it's all about marriage, or it's all about theology, and everybody's going in a different direction. But what is this unifying center that, 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 that focuses everything, kind of like a laser beam in one direction? That's the question. What is the center, the overarching purpose of the spirit gifts? Now, one could peruse just chapters and give some general answers, like Paul calls, says one of the purposes for the common good in chapter 12, verse 7. Maybe that's the purpose. It's the common collective good of the body. Okay, what does that mean? Or maybe it's for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's chapter 14, verse 3. Sure, for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. But still, that doesn't give us a center. Or maybe it's so the church will be edified. That's the end of verse 5. So that the church may be edified. But what exactly is the center of edification? Or maybe it's building up the church. End of verse 12. Excel in the gifts that build up the church. But what does it mean to build up the church? And what's the center of that? Those terms are are very ambiguous, and they lack, I think, the definition that's needed so that we know exactly what the purpose of the gifts are. What is their fundamental heart purpose? Let me offer to you what I believe they are, with all my heart. What is at the center of the gifts of the Spirit is this. To manifest the presence of God in the realm of human experience. 
to manifest the presence of Christ through the Spirit flowing through the gifts so it enters the realm of human experience. Or to put it differently, God puts Himself on display for people to see and experience through these gifts as they're utilized in the church. In other words, at the very center of the gifts is God Himself. That is the purpose. Now many of us are trained to think, perhaps this Western thinking, which is very productivity-oriented, that the gifts are primarily to accomplish tasks. Okay, well, I'm going to use my gift of service today. I'm going to go mow 14 lawns, and boom, I I did my service. I exercised my gift. I visited 15 people in the hospital today and exercised my gift of mercy. I'm done. I I, I did it. You accomplished the task of the gift. That is way too short-sighted. The whole purpose of you mowing the lawns or visiting someone in the hospital is so that God's presence might be made known, manifested to those people you're ministering to. It's highly relational and personal. It's to manifest the presence of God. That's at the center of these gifts. Now let me do my best to prove this to you. You just use two texts. And for me, this is revolutionary. If it's not for you, that's okay. But it was and is for me. Chapter 12, verse 7. Paul writes, and actually, let me back up to verse 4, because the context is all spiritual gifts. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, varieties, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. You'll notice the Trinity is involved there, Spirit, Lord, and God, all at work in the gifts. Um, But the same God works all of them in all men. That is, all men in his church. Then verse 7, again, he's talking about gifts. Now to each one, the manifestation, now he uses a different word, a manifestation of the Spirit, that's God's presence, is given for the common good. In other words, in the gifts is a manifestation of God's presence. What is a manifestation but a disclosure of something? It's bringing something that's in private out into public view. So the gifts, if you will, bring God's presence into public view so that we experience the manifestation of God's presence in the body. It is God Himself that's at the center of the gifts, the displaying of who God is to us, personally, experientially. God puts Himself on display. He manifests Himself in the realm of human experience through the gifts. God is in the gifts. That's what's at the center of the gifts. That becomes even more clear, I think, in chapter 13, verse 12. That really is kind of the main text this morning. But let me uh, back up and start in verse 8, because you need to see the flow of his thought. Verse 8 of chapter 13, this is in the midst of the great love chapter. Paul writes, he said, love never fails. That's another relational word, deep relational word. I mean, faith and hope, but the greatest of these is love. He says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, there's a gift. They will cease. Where there are tongues, there's another gift. They will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, and he's talking about the gift of knowledge there, another gift, it will pass away. So they're temporary is what he's saying. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, the gifts are imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. That imperfect gifting disappears. Now skip down to verse 12. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, there's that imperfect knowledge, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Now, the main point of the chapter is not to teach us necessarily about spiritual gifts. It's to show the superiority and the permanency of love over against gifts, which are someday going to disappear. Nevertheless, it tells us in this chapter a lot about the purpose of the gifts in the present age. That right now they exist, and they exist imperfectly and in part, but someday they're going to be done away with when the perfect comes. The imperfect means will disappear when the perfect comes. 
Verse 12, I think, tells us what that perfect is. What is that time in which the gifts disappear? Verse 12, I'm going to read it again. And you'll notice the contrast between present tense and future tense. That he flips back and forth twice. Now, in the present age, right now, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, now he's talking future, we shall see face to face. Now, back to present tense, I know in part. Now he switches back to future. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now the word see, used in that verse, and the word know are both, again, kind of encounter words. Um, That is, you're encountering face-to-face, seeing face-to-face. They're also relational words. He's saying there is coming a time in which the gifts will cease, and that will happen when we see face-to-face. In Paul's terminology, I think he means just one thing, the face of God. There is going to be a time in which we will have direct access to the creator of the universe, the divine. And when that happens... This printed book will be obsolete. You won't need to read about him. I wouldn't want to read about my wife when she's right in front of me. You won't need to read about God because you will see him face to face. That we will at that point know him fully. And by fully, he does not mean exhaustively. He means directly. We're going to know him in the same way he already knows us. That is, he knows us directly. Our seeing of him now and our knowing of him now are indirect and only in part. But you'll notice in the present tense of that verse, we still see something. We still see his face, but now it's dim as through a mirror. Now, normally we think of mirrors as something we look at our own face in, but he's using it a little bit differently in which we look through a mirror to see someone else's face. But we still see, verse 12, look at that. He says, we see, we still see his face, but now, through a reflection, do we still know him? We just know him in part. We don't know him directly. The question is, how is it that we see him right now in the present time? How is it that we know him, albeit in part, in the present time? I think there's one answer for that from the context. Through the gifts. He just talked about tongues and talked about knowledge and talked about prophecy. Those things through which we know in part. In other words, we see the face of God indirectly and dimly, but nevertheless we still see Him as people utilize their spirit gifts. To me, that's pretty clear. And gives center to the whole spirit gifts idea. What is the purpose of the gifts? So that people can see the face of God through reflected through my particular gift. It's so that the presence of God might be manifested in the realm of human experience, albeit indirectly, but it still communicates. The whole purpose of the gifts is to manifest God's presence to us so that we, through them, might see His face. And in seeing His face through the gifts, have our love deepened and our faith intensified. And in that faith, to, to, to live out a greater surrender and glad obedience to Him, to carry out His work because we see the face of God, radiated and reflected through the community of faith exercising their mirror gifts. And if that's how the gifts, if that's at the center of the gifts, the manifestation of God's presence, and if the great mandate of the Bible is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that makes the gifts pretty important. If I want more of God, I'm going to find it in this present time as people using their gifts in my life and my life in yours. It's like each one of us has been given a little tiny mirror, and it's different, different shape, maybe a different color. All of us are gifted differently with unique combinations of personality and background and so forth. 
talent. But he's given you this mirror. And those mirrors are meant to be joined together and through them. The brilliance of the glory of God begins to shine. To us as a church in which I think when this happens, the power of God comes again in the cylinders fire. We grow and people are willing to spread a passion for the supremacy of Jesus because we've seen him, because we've experienced his presence manifested in all the different gifts. God is at the center of the gifts, manifestation of God's presence into the realm of human experience. That's the center and purpose of the gifts. And as long as you keep that focus, I think it keeps us from sliding off into some oblivion somewhere. It's not about the gift. It's about the one in the gift. I think that has huge implication for how we exercise and practice and think of the gifts and what it does, at least from my vantage point. Here's a couple of applications. One, it gives us a sense of humility. It generates a sense of humility about the use of gifts. Again, because the gift is just a means to an infinitely great end. It is just a means of reflection. God is the main important thing in the gift. And one of the things that has turned me off to the edges of the charismatic movement, Pentecostal movement, is there's almost a sense in which a particular gift and the one who wields it is elevated almost to a place of worship. So what gets people excited is the gift. It's not the gift that should excite people. It's the one present in the gift. So that people begin to sing the praise of prophecy and the praise of tongues and the praise of healing, and that becomes the centerpiece. Meanwhile, everyone's distracted from the star of the show. It's like someone holding up a mirror and saying, This is so awesome. It's mine. Do you see my mirror? It's not the mirror that's important. It's the face in the mirror that's important. By the way, as a side note, people on the other side of the pendulum, word-based churches, oftentimes make the opposite mistake, and they make a God out of doctrine. Ooh, the five points. Ooh, Luther, what a man. He was a great man, but just a mirror. Doctrine, theology, gifts all have the same center. To manifest the presence of God to us in a way that we are called and drawn to love him, trust him, and obey him. Same center to all of those things. Even the center of all creation, what is it? Day after day, night after night. Heavens declare the glory of God. God's even the center of peace manifesting himself even in creation. It's the center of everything. Back to the gifts. So if the gift is just a means to an end, then we recognize it for what it is. It's just a mirror, a God-given mirror you can't even take ownership for. You simply reflect his presence to the rest of the body and through the body to the world. It's just a mirror. But what's in the mirror is captivating and should change your life. So it should generate a sense of humility and allow God to be worshipped, not the gift. Second thing, I really think if that permeates, if that truth that God is the center of gifts, what, what I'm supposed to be doing is manifesting his presence to my brothers and sisters through the use of my gift, and if that sinks into your heart and that permeates your mind, then it's going to change your whole approach to operating your gift, whatever it is. So if that's the driving force and thinking in my life, like, okay, one of the gifts I have is teaching, how well I do it, I'll leave that for you to judge. Then my whole rule and focus and prayer is that when I bring a text of Scripture to the body, there's only one thing I really want to happen. I want the presence of Christ manifested in such a way through my teaching that you are drawn to trust Him more and love Him more and obey Him more gladly and more consistently. That's it. To manifest God's presence in the unique way He's gifted me to do it. This is probably different than the way He's called you to do it. So that when you hear a message, you're not just hearing a guy who's 6'3", lives in Fairfield, but you're hearing through my voice, God speaking to you. Albeit imperfect, I mean that's why the perfect needs to come. 
I am imperfect, but nevertheless, God speaks through the gift. And ultimately, I want you to hear His voice speaking to you personally and teaching you what you need to hear. And that is true of every single gift, whatever it is. If your gift is the gift of of mercy, you have a desire to go help people who are weaker than you are. And you're good at it. And you walk into someone's house and into someone's room who's in hospice care who only has maybe three or four weeks to live. And you know you have this gift of mercy and they are facing life's end. Probably frightened and scared. What's the purpose in that ministry of mercy, that gift of mercy? I'll tell you what it is. It's not so that they can look at you and say, thank you, Dan, for showing me mercy. Bigger than that. What someone about to face death needs is not Dan to show them mercy. What they need is for Dan or someone else who has this gift to come and through that gift to manifest God's mercy. So they sense through your placing on of hands and praying for them and reading scripture, God is merciful and he will see me through that dark door of death. They need God's mercy. Transmitted through your gift. You are manifesting the presence of God's mercy through that gift. Your gift is service and you like to mow lawns for people who are crippled. When you go and grab hold of that lawnmower, there is one main thing you want that other person to experience as a result of you mowing the lawn or weed eating their weeds. May they see the servant heart of God who washed feet and who died on a cross serving them so they just don't see you serving them. They see a God who loves and serves You are manifesting the presence of a serving God to them. If your gift is hospitality, your purpose is not simply to show hospitality personally, but that in your hospitality you may manifest the presence of an infinitely hospitable God who is making a new creation for us and saying, come into my home forever and ever. I'll feed you forever. You are to manifest the hospitality of God. It's God you want them to see, not you. You're just the vehicle. You see how if if it really sinks in, if you take that and sink that into your particular gifting, the whole purpose of it is to manifest that particular aspect of God's character through me, you're going to think differently and you're going to pray differently about your gift. And it's also going to teach you to think differently about the gifts of others. And a lot of people are jealous of somebody having a greater gift. He preaches better than I do or teaches better than I do or is more merciful or more powerful, whatever. Where there's coveting or we elevate gifts too high is when we realize that the, really the only thing that I really need in your gift is I need more of Christ in my life. I need more of his mercy. I need to see his servant's heart. I need to hear his voice. So that he becomes the centerpiece in my listening to you or allowing you to serve me is to recognize that I need God and that's God ministering to me through this person. That takes all the emphasis off the personality and the gift itself. It's really the God that you want and the God that you need. I'm going to embarrass this person uh, this morning because I, I know he's here. But, um, and I know I've used this before, so forgive me, but it's at a turning point in my life and it just made a huge difference. Nine, ten years ago, I sat on a couch in my, my home, 1422 Monitor Avenue. And I started ministry here at Parkway right out of seminary. You know, they teach you all the theory, and then they drop you in the pulpit, and you're trying to figure life out. And family, having kids, the whole ball of wax. And I remember feeling the pressure of ministry weighing down upon me, and there's just pressure all, all around. I came to that point where I was thinking, Am I, I, I'm not enjoying this. In fact, I, I think I want out of this. But I, I knew I just couldn't leave. So I started fasting once a week. And my wife joined with me, praying, Lord, I'm just discouraged about this. I don't know if this is my call. I don't know if I have what it takes to go like John Hansen, you know, 40-plus years. So I was on my couch. I remember it as clear as day. And I was sitting there. And somewhere in Northern California, the Spirit of God prompted a man a friend by the name of Tom Leary. And he picked up his phone and he called me. And he, um, 
I was sitting on the couch, and I remember the phone ringing, and I was thinking, I'm not going to answer it. You know those times when you're just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. And um, the answering machine picked up. And, um, and he didn't hang up. You know how a lot of us, you know, we hear, you hear if the answering machine didn't hang up. He didn't hang up. He, I heard his voice come over to the answering machine, and he said, Hey, Dan, this is Tom. I don't know why. God brought you to mind and prompted me to pray for you. By the way, I completely and wholly believe the Spirit prompts us in those unique, spontaneous ways. And when those happen, you need to follow them. And he said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Don't know why. And at that very moment, you're sitting on the couch, and you're just kind of pressed down by life. You know whose voice I heard? I didn't hear Tom's voice. I mean, I did. It was like God spoke through the phone and said, Dan, I'm with you. And I'm going to tell somebody that isn't even close to you, doesn't even call you very much, to call you to tell you that. And God ministered to me that day. God came to me through that particular gifting. That's the way the gifts are supposed to work. That's how and what we're supposed to be doing for each other and also receiving from each other. What we really need more of is the presence of God in our lives. And the gifts are just the vehicles by which that happens. So if you can train yourself to think and believe that your gift is not about you, it's about bringing the presence of God into people's lives. And if you can take from other people's gifts the fact that God is ministering to you and, and, and manifesting himself to you through them, it totally revolutionizes the whole purpose of gifts and makes it wonderful and beautiful because God is the center and one, one final application, I, I, and I, this kind of brings it to the now what surface. If it's true that God manifests his presence in the realm of human experience through the gifts, that just shows you how important the use of your gift is and using that gift in community, that is, in fellowship with each other. God designed us to have these mirrors connected together. In other words, by you not using your gift, you're not just preventing a task from getting done. That's way too low of a view. It's not really about tasks now, is it? Now, there's doing in gifts. But in your gift, you are holding a piece of the mirror that reflects the presence of God to people. So in a sense, you end up depriving God's people a piece of the Lord. I mean, in one sense, that's what you do. Can you imagine a big mirror with only a couple of pieces that are working, holding a mirror up to your face where a lot of that reflective material on the back is is peeled off and all you can see is your ear and your tooth? Unfortunately, that's what many of the churches look like when God's people don't know their gifts, they neglect their gifts, and don't employ their gifts. It's not just about the task. It's about manifesting the presence of God to one another. So if everyone in the body recognizes that, that it is vitally important that I don't sit on this thing called a gift, I don't put it under a mattress, but it's to be taken out and to be reflected. And everybody starts doing that next to each other. Again, Paul's going to tell us that the body's diverse with diverse gifts, and as they come together, we reflect more fully the presence of God to each other. It underscores just how important the use of your gift is. I need you to take out your mirror. You need others to take out their mirror and fit them together so that we might behold and experience greater levels of the manifest presence of Christ in our church. And when that happens, you find the electricity going through the spark plug wires and those cylinders begin to rock. Imagine just so much. I hope you want it. God's power to inhabit the church again. And a big piece of that in this present time is you learning, developing, and employing whatever that gift is so that the mirror might shine forth. So with that said, there is the stated purpose around which I hope I keep hitting this over and over. I should because it's the main purpose of gifts and some of the applications of it. I think it's time to spend just a couple moments in introspection. If you don't know what your gift is, 
how God's gifted and wired you to reflect his glory to the rest of us and then to the world. Maybe that's what you need to pray. And not just pray it now, but continue to pray, God, show it to me. It's the first step in discovering anything is praying. Pray, and he will in time show you. Or others might know what that is, but it's dormant. You're not faithful in pulling it out, or you don't know where to to put it. Ultimately, you're the one responsible for taking that mirror and shining it. No one else can do it for you. Maybe it's time to repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I mean, this is a huge responsibility to take this mirror out and shine it on people. Help me to do it, want to do it. Renew a right spirit in me. And then show me where I'm to, to shine it. Or others of you who have gifts, it's not wrong, I think, to pray for more, provided that God is at the center. And what you really want, what your real motivation is, to see God's presence manifested more fully in your life so that others might be built up and edified. Again, it's God and the gifts that are so important. Will you spend a couple of moments just uh, reflecting, praying, asking how God would have you respond to this?